Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. I got you and everybody else for Luke Cage episode 101, Moment of Truth, which is brought to you by Genghis Connie's, the best general sows in Harlem. Pete, so, so glad to finally be watching Luke Cage, podcasting Luke Cage. This is a show that, uh, that of course, the, the buzz has been going on for a while. Pete, is it actually a year ago when we saw Mike Coulter and the other uh, then-cast defenders uh, at New York Comic Con? It's gone by so quickly. Here we are finally kicking off the podcast. 51 weeks ago, and to be able to talk with you about this now this is the longest i've ever had to sit on the first batch of episodes without being able to uh share them with you so i'm i'm ready well without further ado pete let's uh let's dive on in the lowdown where we review what's going on in the episode the streets of Harlem, Matt, Pulse, Pops Barbershop delivers the best sports talk this side of WFAN. And of course, they're discussing whether or not Phil Jackson should be fired. Pete, this is taking place in modern day. I know that we have listeners around the country, around the world. Can we just agree on one thing? Those Knicks of the 1990s, they might have been easy to root against. I know I did it, but darn were they good. Yeah, and if you went to drive the lane, you would leave in a body bag. But the uh, the swear jar here is in effect. I, Matt, as someone who has counted every use of expletive in our Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek, uh, immediately applaud uh, Luke Cage as a series for in- incorporating at least this reference. Who knows? Maybe... Maybe they did because we made a big deal out of it, although they pushed the language uh, just a little farther in this episode, given the setting and some of the larger themes. Also going on in this scene, it's it, Pete, it's the thing that must go on in the first episode of any uh, of any season, let alone any series. It's exposition, spelling things out, and it's easy exposition here effortless we see what luke does at the barbershop he sweeps he cleans he does work shamik has plenty to say and he's ready to go toe to toe to luke uh with luke but backs down again some subtle story effort there to showing shamik might be a tough guy but uh he's not going to go toe to toe with luke yet um and we're not quite seeing Luke's powers yet. Of course, for the for the uninitiated, we've seen them in Jessica Jones. But there's a sense of mystery there uh, if you don't know this character. There is a battle of generations here. The reference to the now old school ball players of John Starks and uh, you know Oakley Charles Oakley of the Knicks of of the '90s, and now the the Instagram and let's get the max contract to get together having uh, ball players of today of, of Shamik's generation. Although we can agree on one thing, Matt, that LeBron, he can ball. 
We must all indeed admit that. We, we have two kings in this episode. One's LeBron and uh, the other's is Biggie in a little while. But amidst all these men talking about this, there's a young man getting his hair cut. And uh, his mother, Patty, comes in to pick up her son. Let's just say she gets noticed by Shmeek, probably all the other guys. Um, but it's Luke who gets her phone number at the end. And five minutes in, what are we learning about Luke Cage? He's cool. He's tough. He's restrained. He doesn't drink coffee. <laughs> There's that too. Uh, he ends up in the back room and uh, he's pacing back and forth. Pop comes and says that uh, he's taken a lot of prison, uh, from prison, Pop has, but he's never gotten rid of that pacing. Uh, the implication here that uh, Luke similarly is uh, is working on some demons the way, uh, the way Pop has as well. Yeah, and there's some acknowledgement, although not by name, of what went on with Luke at the end of Jessica Jones. So we know where we stand. He had taken the point blank of a shotgun um, from his rebound gal and uh, still gets the headaches occasionally. Uh, so not completely impervious. And I like how uh, Coulter is getting at the skin of this character in the second series that he's he's been in here, the first to feature him. Pop jokingly calls Luke Power Man, of course, a nod to the comics. And mm -hmm. for newbies, because again, this is in some ways uh, a sequel return for the for the character, but it, 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 it's a brand new start in terms of it being a series. Uh, we have uh, Luke pick up that washer with one arm. <laughs> totally clear. Super strength. Uh, there's further exposition. Again, does as easy as it comes about how in his past he was caught. He was beaten. He was put into a tank. He came out with dramatic pause abilities. And of course, he still misses the late Riva. Yeah. And again, you don't need to have watched Jessica Jones to understand it here. I certainly think it gives another layer as we had podcasted that show as well and, and really kind of be able to put it all together. But what a great touch to lift up the washer just to get the, the piece of paper with Patty's number on it as we're getting at this effortless exposition. And it, it's rare, especially for the shows that we podcast. Yes, there's been, of course, crisscross when you're under the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe umbrella. But it's this new position here of, of if you overintroduce him, the, the audience who's followed these characters from Daredevil to Jessica Jones to Luke Cage, they're going to get bored. But if you underintroduce them, then people who are, are new to this, and my goodness, what is the, the, the orientation of of the defenders, if not an opportunity for a bunch of different people to get excited about this type of storytelling. So if you don't introduce things to them, they're confused and it's just, they're just working things perfectly. It's you're learning about the character the entire time, both inside and out. But Luke remains a fugitive. Uh, Pop's advice is to let the past be the past. The only direction in life that matters is the forward. And he's taken it day to day. That brings us to a gentleman waiting outside in the car. Uh, Luke then bumps into uh, another one as he's taken out the trash. Okay. This is Chico and a gun falls from his waist. What's it for? Mm, 
We don't know just yet. Definitely not a good situation there. Chico with the gun, apparently picking up some cash. Uh, cash rather, definitely, uh, definitely troubles afoot. And um, Luke watches Chico as he uh, as he leaves, and then he takes off his his button down pops shirt. Pete almost shades of Clark Kent there, opening up his shirt. You know, new a new hero for a new day here. Um, and Cage is walking down the street, just jeans and that and that undershirt. Pete, gotta say, handsome fella right there. And uh, he sees a, a street salesman selling raw footage about Stark, the blonde dude with the hammer, the old guy with the shield, the green monster, not the one out of Fenway. And that's all you need to just remind us we're in a big, wide Marvel Cinematic Universe, but we're looking at one neighborhood of Harlem. In HD, no less, Matt. But he's got to go to work. He's got to go to his other job. Which Pops laments as Luke leaves that if he didn't have to pay him in cash because of his fugitive nature, then uh, he could pay him more. But heads now to this other job, despite that tantalizing hook of footage of the incident. After the uh, street vendor, however, there's uh, a newsstand where Luke stops off for his New Yorker that's been kept for him by the blind attendant, Ollie, further fleshing out our, uh, you know, vibe here to, uh, to Harlem. And then before Luke can round the corner of a restaurant, there is Genghis Connie and uh, Luke hands her what she's expecting his uh his rent that uh ollie explained she's on the warpath for but it's not enough he needs more matt will he be able to get more and pete what's so elegant about this scene is it comes off as just uh you know further comment as to his need for the second job the second job that we know is going to you know, lead him into conflict with uh, the baddie that we've seen all the previews on and all of that. The fact that it's also set up for the climax of the episode and also set up to to learn more, just not about these restaurant owners, but to learn more about uh, Luke as a hero. You don't see it coming at all. You just think it's one dimensional when it's more than that. Yeah, and by the time that we head into the uh, the marquee of the Harlem Club here, a singer uh, singing R&B, and up into the um, the balcony there, we see for the first time uh, Cornell Stokes. And there's a great, great floating shot. Must have been a, a, a crane shot. I don't know, maybe a steady cam on a on a platform. But we go up and over and around through this club. It, the club itself is smooth and sultry, and the camera cranes up to Mahershala Ali, uh, who, who just from the way the shot is set up, uh, can only be playing the boss man of the club. Maybe he's even worse, Pete. Uh, but then the story takes us inside the kitchen. And inside the kitchen there, Matt, Dante's sick. Uh, gentleman comes to Luke, needs a favor. Uh, but wait, where's that cash you promised me? Oh, that'll come at the end of the week, says Nate. Um, he says you can keep all your, your uh, tips to Luke, though, if he goes out and bartends, hands him uh, a shirt and tie and a jacket to put on. Because, Matt, Mr. Stokes has standards. 
Uh, back we go to that second floor balcony of the club. Cornell is told by uh, by Madam Councilwoman. See, we're getting all this easy exposition who they are. She's not named yet, but still, I want to pause and just know here how, how they're making clear people's positions. Uh, but anyhow, he is told by her that she shouldn't be here, suggesting that his power is indeed a bit behind the scenes, uh, something that we are we are no doubt expecting. And that Raphael Sadiq, well, he's as good live as they said he was. Even better, Matt. Uh, back downstairs we go. Just a quick touch in with Cage at the bar. His jacket is small, but so is his patron's dress. Uh, definitely some sizzle air, Pete. Luke Cage hasn't he hasn't lost his ways with the ladies since Jessica Jones. I'll tell you that much. Back up in the balcony, though, um, Cornell Stokes and the uh, unnamed to this point in the episode, Councilwoman, are joined by a third man here, Domingo. And they're celebrating with champagne, Matt, this partnership that should have happened a long time ago, except uh, Cottonmouth's, ooh, I shouldn't call him that just yet, Mr. Stokes' uncle. And Domingo's brother had their way. That Uncle Pete, Matt, he was good people. Uh, Salvador really liked him, too. Got to watch out for Uncle Pete there. Uh, Nice transition here. Of course, they are up on that balcony. And we then cut to uh, the woman who was with Luke watching up on the balcony. Uh, There's some banter between her and Cage uh, regarding uh, whether she should cover up or not. Certainly uh, filling out that dress nicely. Then back up we go to the balcony. Pete, what is this? An Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode? With all these <laughs> cross cuts back and forth between two is, scenes. But It is that Marvel cross cut. Particularly sharp uh, banter, though. Um, the woman at the bar is uh, an old enough head to refer to, um, shall we say, a, an artist's new work as an album, you know, back when we had physical albums. Um, and uh, there we're suddenly thrown into the relation that uh, this councilwoman shares with uh, Cornell Stokes. Uh, she's called a cousin. And uh, Domingo says, so wait, I give your cousin a contribution and I get out of I get a out of jail free card, right? Um, but no, that's that's not the way it's done. There are things to be finished. We shouldn't be celebrating as we're starting. Particularly, she stresses, let's not forget about what happened to Fisk, especially when it comes yes. to real estate. A little shiver down my spine there. Again, I love how there's this there's this two tone to some of these these larger uh defenders references here if you're watching the show with with virgin eyes and you've never seen the other shows all right something happened to a guy got caught real estate pete if you can imagine a real estate mogul being up to that much terrible terrible trouble you know as always what fiction we see in uh in the marvel cinematic universe right um but but if you get the if you, if you get the reference, it's a great reference. And these people who are on the fringe of right versus wrong must be talking about well, if they got Fisk, we need to be extra careful. Yeah, she points out that these two, uh, Cornell and Domingo, shouldn't even be seen together. Okay, let alone having her all up in the Kool Aid, Matt. 
So what is the mystery here? What's the business deal that's going on? Domingo reveals that he's buying military-grade weapons. Pete from Justin Hammer. Boy, I mean, a reference back to, to the Iron Man films there. Obviously, further, further comic reference. And uh, who's his connection? Well, that's all that we're going to say. Nothing more. They're, they're kind of quickly shutting it down. But rest assured, early in this episode here, once the buy is made and confirmed... And they get that call, all will be happy. Pete, I'm sure there'll be no trouble there. Yeah, and it, it's not illicit, Matt, which I think beyond the timeliness of uh, the, the, the urban and uh, racial uh, motifs going on in this show, we're also thematically getting at uh, the gun stuff. This is protected by the Constitution, Stokes points out. So, you know, the, the, the purity, everything there, you know, you could blow a hole in a battleship with this. You could really brighten somebody's day. Um, and it's top of the line, creme de la creme, grade A, military hardware. Okay, $100,000 per case, 10 cases. That's a cool million wholesale, no serial numbers. Okay, why? Because his connect, Matt, is nice like that. And of course, the rule in TV and film is uh, don't say it, show it. So intercut with this, we see what they're discussing. Then as it unfolds, we're actually intercutting with the purchase that's going on, presumably concurrent to this. And it all starts to go bad. Masked robbers appear. They're holding up the gun transition. You can sense the tension for a moment, then... One uh, one goon draws, there's a shootout with all the robbers getting most of the shots in, uh, but not all of them. And while this is going on, the, we, we, we start another intercut, this wonderful intercut of the shootout and the song being performed in the club. Mm -hmm. The beauty of the song contrasted with the harshness of these killings. Yeah, driver gets it through the window. Uh, there's a guy who in my notes I refer to as shotgun chest. <laughs> and then suddenly Shamik is saying, that's what we're talking about here. They got the bag of cash. Okay. But wait, we weren't supposed to kill anybody. Um, but they tell Dante they had to make a move. Stuff went left. Um, my bad. And, uh, we get Matt, the Marvel cinematic universe that's tv and film the first f word Oof! had to clean up my ears after that one pete but i guess it's got to be what's got to be uh the dialogue between shamik and chico uh confirmed that the plan originally was no one was supposed to die uh the third guy of course is dante ding ding it's all starting to come together now uh, Dante says the Cottonmouth will know it was him. After all, he's not at the club tonight. Kind of love right. that refrain. If you didn't catch the name, it's the guy who's out sick. Hey, that's the bartender, of course. And then uh, Shamik's solution, shoot Dante. After all, it's better to split up this money two ways. Yeah, and uh, so he would have snitched anyway. But his plan here, he's going to be rich. Back at the club Luke still chatting up the female patron here, asks her if she's a bench warmer or did she miss the cut? Hey, I figured you were one of his cotton mouths. 
Pete, Pete, Pete. It's it's Mr. Stokes, for goodness sake. He hates that name. Yeah, but this young lady, she's she's beautiful, but she's a little older than uh, what they normally see Mr. Stokes um, hanging out with. At a line, Matt, that uh, is going to earn uh, Luke the forfeiture of a tip, apparently. Well, Pete, that might be the case. I'll tell you the next line, though. That's one that uh, all the gentlemen listening should file this one away. Yes. Uh, he says, dumb men like little girls. He likes to ponder a woman. And wow. just then, another woman, Candace, comes over, clearly one that Luke has a history with. Table 7 needs six bottles of Ace of Spades. She needs help carrying that. She doesn't like to be up there by herself. And we get just a look from Luke. He gives the, uh, the young lady at the bar a Cosmo to ponder and uh, heads on up to see our power players. We, uh, we see him walking into that balcony area carrying the bucket. He's noticed by Cottonmouth and the councilwoman. I think they notice him for two different reasons uh the former offers him a job more suitable for a man of his size especially if he'll carry a gun uh luke passes again if if you're seeing this character for the first time oh it's because he's a private man he's a peaceful man if you know the history of the character uh at least through jessica jones it's that he's trying to keep a low profile as well i do have to take a little bit of issue with Luke showing up in the balcony and instantly Cornell Stokes is offering him another job and the chance to brandish a gun. I thought that logically was a little too quick of a, of a leap before we're suddenly, Hey, you can do some bad things for me. And one thing, if, if you're listening to a fantastic geek podcast here for the first time, or when you, you've been with us, you're OG as, uh, as we say, uh, you're O P H G. Um, it is a situation where we're going to call this, uh, you know, warts and all. So, uh, it took me out of there a little bit, Matt. Pete, I'm not going to disagree, but I'm going to offer forth a theory. Do guys of Luke's, uh, Luke's age, Luke's position in life, Luke's size, do they get jobs at this club because they're interested in, Bussing tables, intending bar. I don't mean the performers up on the stage. I mean the people that are the actual club workers. Do they work there because they want to work on work in a club, or are they there to maybe get noticed because they've heard that Mr. Stokes? You don't call him Cottonmouth, but Cottonmouth has some other business interests that 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 will get you a lot more, a lot richer than uh, than waiting tables or whatever. So I don't know how that theory sits with you. Our friend Dante, however, Matt, uh, you know, he's he's been better for wear, as it were. Uh, indeed, he's he's barely alive. He takes out the phone. He calls one of Mr. Stokes' lieutenants who silently passes along the bad news to Stokes, who just sits there unmoving. I don't know whether it was written unmoving. I don't know whether that was the, uh, the decision of the actor, but Pete, the most powerful people are the ones that don't need to instantly jump on news, the ones that can pause and think about it. And uh, so we get both forward progress for the story and also a character moment. 
and then the story moves outside the club where uh, the woman in question seems to be waiting for Cottonmouth, but Pete, Luke Cage just tells her that uh, she should be getting on home. Yeah, he's just gotten off of work here. Uh, Mr. Stokes has left, and, uh, you know, maybe they could go grab a coffee. Again, he doesn't like coffee, but Matt, fortunately, neither does she. We cut to one of their apartments. I don't think it matters which. Pete, the close-ups are sizzling, the hands are moving, so are the lips too. And as the back of her dress gets unzipped, oh my, it's just it's just two fine people doing what, well, oh my, it, it, it happened, Pete. Listen, if we thought that Jessica Jones pushed the boundaries as a series, this scene, Matt, of old-fashioned boot-knocking, as we used to call it, uh, certainly takes it further pete they end up on the bed and i'm saying marvel tv it's now and it fades to black okay marvel tv got it quick cut there to a prison beating i wondered pete is that theo rossi from tv's the alcatraz and also uh tv's the uh the uh sons of anarchy pete i was sure it was him and then i was sure it wasn't him nice setup for the second half of the episode but uh Pete, back to that bedroom uh, after after the uh, flagrante delicto. Yeah, and uh, the the phone seems to bring Luke out of it. Uh, the young lady is uh, speaking. She wants to know when. She says her she's on her way. Points out to Luke that he talks in his sleep here, saying things like shades and Comanche, but the job. What job? We're not sure just yet, but the job is calling her in. Um, he can't call her because he doesn't have uh, her number, and uh, she knows where to find him. Pete, it turns out she's an auditor. Well, that sounds kind of boring. She looks at the books and makes sure everything's on the up and up. Wonderful moment. She does a little tap on her back. He zips the dress up. Uh, and asks why the dress for such an auditor. Well, she needs to to blend in. And then Pete, another great line for us gentlemen to remember. He says that she could stand out in any room. Absolutely. And uh, the the way in which uh, Coulter delivers these lines, it's never cheesy. You always believe it. And there's just a realness to him that it it's palpable. And uh, thank goodness they were able to get this actor for this role. He watches her uh, through the window as she leaves. A fancy car takes her away. And it's just kind of this moment of, oh, we're called. She has to go. But there's a car right outside. And it's just enough to say something isn't something isn't known about this situation. But it's not such a big thing that, that well, that what's about to happen uh, is is revealed until the reveal we go to the next morning. Pete, it's Frank Whaley, the Swimming with Sharks, Pulp Fiction Frank Whaley, who's checking out a crime scene. Hey, he's a detective. Who was this? The Dominicans? Who was this? Cubans? Puerto Ricans? You know, I thought that parade was last week. Um, who was this guy trying to call? And, you know, the, the throwaway Ghostbusters line <laughs> is is great, but uh, are still unnamed uh, young lady who is uh, law enforcement 
uh, knows and recognizes this man as Dante Chapman. She knew his mama. Indeed, she's certainly uh, more than a, book a bookkeeper as, uh, as it's quickly starting to unfold. Uh, the story moves to Stokes' office and Domingo is on the phone. Clearly things aren't looking good. And that, then, Pete, is the introduction of Shades, played by our Alcatraz alum, which I know most people would know from Sons of Anarchy, Theo Rossi. He carries cool with him, and he knows all about the robbery. Pete, who's he working for these days? That would be Diamondback. And it doesn't take a genius to put Cottonmouth, Diamondback together, there's obviously a motif going on, something we will address in our big picture segment. In this scene, Shades owns the room and Stokes is starting to feel like this is a takeover. It's not. After all, you never see Diamondback coming. So how can Shades help? I love everything in this scene, Pete. We've established that, uh, that uh, Cottonmouth is the boss of bosses in this story, and then to have introduced this character, Shades, a guy who represents someone else, um, who, where Shades now seems to be the equal, if not the better, of, uh, of uh, Stokes. It's just this, this wonderful infusion in an episode that didn't necessarily need it because we're still getting used to know everyone. Yeah, it should be noted, the character of Tone there, uh, you know, trying to almost angle his way between shades and uh stokes but uh you know it's it's the type of thing where clearly um shades has the backing of this diamond back and uh he can let his mouth run a little bit outside pop's shop uh luke is sweeping up and he sees the headline about the, the deaths and the shootings and all, all this uh, dealing with Dante and Chico. And uh, the story moves inside the shop. Pops is talking about his attempts to Jedi mind trick uh, the young men of the neighborhood into hanging out in the shop, place to play video games, watch some TV, a place to be safe. And, uh, hey, Pops asks Luke if he saw anything, you know, with this stuff in the paper. Luke says no. Telling fibs, Pete. Telling fibs. Indeed. And um, I love the, the whole idea that, again, the generational that that pop gets at that, um, you know, the these young men, they had too much pride. They wouldn't ask for help. Um, and the, the refrain here, everybody's got a gun. No one has a father that cuts to the quick, Matt. And you know, for, for the timeliness that we talk about of, you know, the the Constitution, Second Amendment stuff being brought up. OK, uh, you know, in, a, in the next scene, we're going to have a uh, African-American woman saying that before black lives to matter, black history has to matter. Here we're talking about a long running issue in the African-American community in a real way. And thank goodness we have in our comic book superpower TV shows here, we have different points of view represented, different showrunners with different perspectives that, that, that can help maximize these characters. And Pete, where else on TV will you see a political photo op event 
Here we are, Harlem Gardens. Mariah Dillard is welcoming happy youth uh, to this community event while the cameras are watching. She's pressing the flesh. She's touching the hair. Oh, I remember you. I remember you. Make sure this, make sure that. Oh, she, she knows them so well. Boom. Gets to the end of the line. Gets that hand sanitizer. And uh, just love. Great. That's not black, white, orange, red, purple polka dots, whatever. That's that's probably most politicians. Oh, I gotta touch these grubby kids. Smile, smile, smile. Clean my hands immediately. Um, that's power corrupting. And Alfre Woodard plays this with such relish. Um, just a great scene. Oh yeah, watch out for this young brother here. He'll he'll eat uh, five hamburgers. <laughs> psh, psh. There's the Perel. <laughs> Uh, she also notices as she's, uh, as she's cleaning those hands, uh, she sees some thugs watching then she gives an interview that walks a really, really interesting line, Pete, about this idea of Harlem being open for all and having been and continuing to be the epicenter of the black community. And again, here we are with this timeliness of how do you, how do you, how do you grow a place? How do you add sizzle to a place? How do you change a place with also keeping keeping what has made it what it is? Um, I, I I think of some of the growth and also some of the friction in Brooklyn, now the hippest place in the country to live, but also all these different types of communities, some of whom <laughs> probably aren't too happy for the change and some of whom are wondering why the other guys haven't changed as much. So there's kind of this to me there were shades of that here in terms of what is the future of harlem and of uh, of the black community in this uh, in this section of the city this jewel of black america as um mariah refers to it here a perpetual symbol of hope and prosperity and excellence and everything but matt here's the bullet it's her plan here that's that's going to put it all together. Uh, and uh, she reiterates to Stokes that they should not be seen together. She's saying that she needs the money from him as soon as possible. After all, she used federal grants to help build his club. And if those coffers aren't refilled, then they all are going to go to jail. Love that amidst all the mystery, we get just a clear statement of here is the situation. Yeah, that um, she's been promised this money. She needs it right away. She's got to pay it back. She's facing an audit and she wants to know who the dude in the sunglasses is. But uh, Cornell tells her that, uh, hey, cuz these details, you don't want to know. She uh, she steps away and it's confirmed. Uh, Shamik and Chico are definitely the ones that killed Dante. And uh, Cottonmouth ups the bounty to twenty large to get them uh, get them captured, get this situation uh, resolved. With that, Pete, we have a, a quick little story check in with uh, Passion uh, twerking on someone. Pete, who is it that needs to stay put there with Passion? In the gentleman's club, of course, Matt, that would be uh, Shamik. And uh, back we go to Luke, who's walking by his landlord's restaurant. He's asked by, by some, some gentlemen, hey, aren't those the thugs from before? Uh, what time it is? He's given a flyer for the Green Initiative from, uh, from uh, Mariah Dillard. And uh, then, then references made to him, stay Harlem, stay black. So again, this issue of growing the community, um, 
finding a new direction for the community, but are, does that mean abandoning the old, the old history? It, it's an interesting uh, inclusion within this episode map, particularly the way that conflict ultimately plays out. We then head to um, Stokes's kind of private room here. He's on the keyboard. There are girls listening to him play before we go back to the kitchen and Luke needs to get paid. Uh, the money man again says he'll, he's getting paid under the table, so he'll be paid when he's paid. Uh, just love kind of the extra tension there uh, of his need for money while his need to, to, to keep, uh, keep quiet. Uh, still remaining in the kitchen, Tone brings in uh, Shamik. And we have uh, Shamik, who's nervous to meet Cottonmouth. Oh, I mean, Mr. Stokes, never Cottonmouth. And obviously the situation is coming to a head here. Luke looks ready to take some kind of action, but Pete, something stops him. Yeah, that would be Shades showing up here. And there's a quick flashback to prison uh, that Luke has while he's conscious uh, he bails out the other way of the kitchen there, not noticed. Apron off. Time to go to work. But hey, Matt, do you like my Biggie photo? Pete, I love your Biggie photo. And you know what? Mr. Stokes has one inside his office. That's where the story goes. He's speaking to someone behind the camera. Fantastic shot. He says that his Biggie photo draws the eye to the crown. Because everybody wants to be king. He slaps Shamik and references there he punches a man. He's, uh, I hope he's not uh, a proponent of slapping women. But that's, that's uh, perhaps the, uh, the uh, thing being implied there. And then he hits a few more times. Turns out Shamik has already been bloodied. I, I, I feared for Shamik, but I loved this dramatic reveal here that, <laughs> that, that the working over isn't just getting started. It's been going on for a while. And the fact that the fact that um, <laughs> Shmeek is not giving the right answers, we get a reaction shot from Shades that shows this is only getting worse. Dante, while he was dying there, had called uh, Tone and with his dying words gave up Shmeek and his homeboy Chico. So they've got Shmeek's money. They want to know where Chico is so they can get the rest. And... Um, Shamik's response, shall we say, uh, is a little juicy. So Pete, Shamik spits on uh, on Cottonmouth. There, definitely not the right move. Because what's uh, what's uh, Stokes' response? Now he can hit him like a man. And again, there's some restraint showed here. Don't know if it's a Marvel TV thing or just you know sometimes Pete. It's the old the old. Jaws rule. Those uh, those barrels can be scarier than the lousy shark. Shamik is thrown to the floor and beaten off camera. There's Bones, red lighting here. Bones crunch. Biggie watches. Ooh. Uh, the red lighting here hides or maybe even highlights the blood that's being that's being spilled here as several hits lead to that that crunching and that presumed death. Again bathed in red light it sells this idea of sticky sweaty gummy blood all without being seen and the shot ends uh, with the order for stokes money to be gotten 
Luke is meanwhile pacing. He tells himself he didn't recognize you from Seagate prison. He's referring to shades here. We see a quick shot of uh, the invisible man uh, on his bed there by Ellison and a flashback, Matt, where a woman says that loneliness never goes away, especially in a place like Seagate. Um, if you don't make friends, it'll eat you alive. And a flashback done in camera with lighting changes. Absolutely loved it. It was clear it was a flashback. It was also artistic enough to be done all in one shot there. And uh, then Luke goes into the bathroom. He's talking to uh, to her picture, which is a nice narrative carryover from Jessica Jones. And he's telling himself he's in the clear. He's in the clear. Pete, I'm sure whatever the next scene is, it's only going to reinforce the fact that Luke Cage is totally in the clear. Well, not only is he clear, he's focused and he promises his uh, deceased baby Reva he's ready. And uh, as the story moves on, the detective duo have found the body of Shamik Smith. Uh, they have to ID him by his uh, by his wallet and later dental records because his face is not looking too good. Uh, detective Scarf uh, is uh, is told a Benjamin Franklin quote: "The only way to keep a secret between three people is to kill two of them." Is that true in podcasting, Pete? I don't know. But anyhow, uh, Scarf says they should go talk to whoever that bartender was who replaced Dante. Uh, the woman thinks not so much and for reasons that uh, we know more about than does uh, Detective Scarf. Yeah, and uh, we we get kind of this rapid montage of, of Chico with the duffel bag of money. Councilwoman looking at a uh, Shirley Chisholm New Harlem Renaissance uh, flyer there and uh, Stokes over his pile of money before things head back to Genghis Khanis. The Stay Harlem, Stay Black gentlemen are harassing the Asian owners to donate to Dillard or else. Uh, it's reinforced they're not welcome here. Uh, the idea that uh, that the building, though, is uh, is Chinese American owned and uh, has been for at least the one generation, and uh, furthermore, the the uh, owners have already given they've given with uh, votes and respect to Stokes. So it's kind of like enough is enough here. But here comes Luke Cage. He doesn't like their tone. It's disrespectful. It's unnecessary. They tell Mayweather to step off. Um, but he says he can't uh, break things down the way he'd like to. He'd kill them. So uh, they want old Amos to show Luke what he's famous for. What what he famous for, Matt? Well, first of all, we don't see Amos. It's initially revealed as three-on-one, actually four-on-one. He's famous for, for, for punching dudes, but this time when Amos punches Luke Cage, Amos's hand is broken. Pete, I am hashtag spoiler-free. I try and stay away from the previews. I had seen this effect on the preview, but it was even worse this time. Just that slow-motion break of the hand. The following fight is fun. In part because, of course, we're rooting for the title hero. He takes a baseball bat with ease. He catches a bullet like old CK himself. And the last guy, nah, he doesn't even like these other guys. You want some? Well, that last guy, he didn't even like these gentlemen, Matt. 
Um, Luke apologizes for the window and Genghis Khani hands him the money to which he responds that, ma'am, he owes her. Uh, the husband there, he's all worried that these guys are going to come back. Connie wants to hire Luke, but of course he's not for hire. Okay. But wait, like Luke Cage here for hire? Right. Yeah. But I get uh, the reference. Yeah. The, uh, the Asian couple, however, have Luke's word. He's got them and hood up heads out onto the street, Matt. And Luke is about to work his third job. Pete, now we're going to talk about some bad... Shut your mouth! Pete, we're just talking about bad guys. Who are we starting with? Cornell Cottonmouth Stokes, Matt. The uh, proprietor of the Harlem Paradise Club. A, a wonderful villain for this uh, for this season. Uh, th th there's such a class to Mahershala Ali. Um, of course, uh, if you haven't seen him in House of Cards, you, you likely have seen him in other things. And th there, there's there's a dignity to him, but also uh, a malice that's lurking underneath. And of course, the fact that he's existing in this in this gray area, one one foot in the uh, political sphere, one foot in the uh, one foot in the entertainment sphere, Pete, if it's possible, a third foot in the world of crime. It's uh, it's just a, a really fantastic introduction for our baddie. And a, a foot uh, not used in the savage beatdown there and, and, and death of uh, Shamik Smith. But I, I love the way that Ali is playing him here. Um, and it's made even more complex with the next villain. Mariah Dillard, how nice to see uh, see first of all a woman in power. Okay, surprise, surprise, a uh, a uh, corrupt politician. Uh, Pete, I don't think that's uh, anything more than the comment, just perhaps on the uh, the the state of politics now. But to see Alfred Woodard in this show, uh, it, it raises the cachet of the series. She's absolutely wonderful, and we're not quite sure where it is that that her ultimate aim is at this point at least for me as as a hashtag spoiler pure person is it you make a little deal on the side to to feed the greater good later on or is she uh, she rotten to the core well her catchphrase in this episode that politics is where the power is i don't know if that could possibly be any more true given our current environment you hear about these corruption scandals uh, left and right. Um, we do have a, uh, a couple candidates running for office right now who have questionable things like this in their background. Um, so, you know, again, this is, this is timely in terms of the discussion, albeit in a comic book universe. Pete, we cannot leave this list without shades on it. Again, this construction of the story where, where you meet Stokes, you meet Mariah, and you kind of have an understanding of their connection, of their level of power, and so forth. Then in walks Shades as somebody who, as a as a lieutenant, is the equal of uh, of Cottonmouth. It it upends the power dynamic. It gives the story potential for the future. And 
darned if Theo Rossi just isn't isn't you know giving 110 percent here. I mean, we've been Rossi fans for a long time. Uh, fantastic geek. Uh, really, kind of our origin story is is back in the Alcatraz days when he played uh, one of the um, bad guys, one of the prisoners who showed up in uh, the present um, on that show. A really well done episode called Sonny Burnett. Uh, he was actually one of few. Uh, Alcatraz inmates that showed up a couple times. So there was clearly a larger story than unfortunately when it came to that TV show and it's uh, 13 episode one season run, we'll never know, but just really the, the swagger that he brings to this episode, um, you know, not, not to mention just, just a little hint of, of being a little too full of himself. And last, of course, these uh, these thugs from the uh, you know, <laughs> given the quotes, uh, "Stay Harlem, stay black." Uh, Pete, it, obviously, they get their comeuppance by the end of the episode, but uh, their presence there as as trying to make the community be a certain type of thing, uh, I think it's a, it's an interesting entry point for uh, for the series to explore and discuss. Yeah, and as Dillard had talked about you know, at her, her press event here, you know, referencing Malcolm X and Zora Neale Hurston and Duke Ellington, you know, saying that Harlem welcomes all, but, you know, back to the, to the African American community here. So there's an undercurrent. Again, this is something going on in our society right now in a TV show that was filmed within the last eight months. Big picture, where we break down theories about the road ahead. Pete, where are we starting? Let's begin with uh, a callback that goes all the way to the third Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, uh, Justin Hammer, these hammer weapons. It makes a ton of sense if you're going to be talking about the intersection of, uh, of uh, gun violence and uh, gang-related things, and, and you need weapons there. You have that ready to go, not just it, for Marvel Comics, but the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's one of those things where, again, if you get the reference, it's, it's gleeful that you get to tie back to, to something that you understand. And if you don't get the reference, then these are still awful powerful weapons that I dare say most people could agree you don't need to, to have access to one of them in your everyday life to, to, to take care of what's yours. These are, these are powerful, deadly weapons, and, and their availability to this story in this fictional society uh, is part of the problem. And like any metaphorical uh, tale, it ups the ante. These aren't just handguns. These are super duper, surely of some greater power assault weapons. So it, it makes it that much more threatening uh, in the hands of people, Matt, with snake code names like Cottonmouth and Diamondback. 
definitely uh, definitely a dangerous world that uh, that these bad guys are inhabiting, and uh, obviously Luke Cage not far behind. Pete, what's next on the theory list? Well, we've referenced Seagate Prison uh, earlier in this podcast, Matt, that we move with that uh, in-camera flashback to a woman talking to Luke, and then we see the picture of Reva in the medicine cabinet. What's going on there? Well, uh, again, just a wonderful, wonderful camera move there and a great way to give us that flashback without even, uh, without even uh, overdoing it. In terms, of, in terms of his time at Seagate, Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, there, there might be a couple baddies already that, that we know about that are in Seagate prison. Well, I mean, you dig deep enough, you'll you'll make those connections. But um, Shades having uh, met Luke there, clearly the uh, exposition Luke had given earlier on, uh, like an exotic fish in a tank that occurred behind bars as well. I'm I'm thinking uh, we'll see some more flashbacks. Absolutely, definitely, uh, definitely looking forward to that. Word on the street, where we hear from you, the audience. Pete, where are we starting today for our inaugural Luke Cage episode? On iTunes, Matt, we have been left a review by Leo Fain. uh, And the headline is, Best Marvel Series Reviews on the Web. Five stars, Matt. It reads... I've been a fan of these reviewers since finding the Daredevil podcast. These guys cover each show with serious attention to detail. They're easy to listen to, and their analysis is thought-provoking. I get much more out of the story when I listen to the breakdown of each episode. Can't wait to binge this series and the podcast. Well, thank you so much for those kind words. We do try and take a uh, take a smart approach to all the uh, all the great shows that we watch and podcast, and uh, cannot wait to be continuing to podcast uh, this episode or uh, this series. Rather, this episode was a fantastic introduction to it. Pete, why don't we take a minute and talk about? Uh, you know, he's going to be binge watching the show. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be binge watching. Uh, what's our What's our schedule ahead? When can people expect the next the next uh, podcast episode? Well, typically with the Netflix series that are dropped all one season as at a time, we will give you between two and three episodes a week. And we are uh, we are lucky in that uh, Luke Cage has just started, and uh, of course we do also podcast Agents of Shield. So no Agents of Shield next week. That means Pete, we're doing this episode on the Friday, September thirtieth, that uh, that Luke Cage starts. <clears throat> Pete, we'll be back on Monday with the next podcast episode. Then Wednesday, then Friday, then Monday again. So at that point, we'll settle into probably a Monday Friday release schedule. But um, can't wait to dig deeper in this show. And if you would like to hear your words on the podcast, Pete, let's talk about some ways that people can get their word on the street to us. Where should we start, Pete? How about how about the 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 crown on the Fantastic Geeks head, your Twitter feed? Wow, I, I'm doubly flattered here after Leo Fain's review. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 
8,395 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That is fantastic with the PH. You can find us uh, under that name on the .com, the Gmail, the Twitter, the Instagram. It's all Fantastic Geek. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. Like it and you'll be plugged in to everything we do with Luke Cage, with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., with Daredevil, with Jessica Jones, even uh, some stuff outside of that Marvel Universe there, a little bit of Star Trek uh, in advance of a new show coming next spring. It's exciting times. Cannot wait to be uh, going crazy watching Luke Cage this weekend. So, Pete, with that, thank you, new and old listeners alike, the old listeners who keep on coming back. Thank you for uh, joining us for Luke Cage. New listeners, welcome aboard the uh, Fantastic Geek Experience. Uh, We'll be back soon. So with that, Pete, I'm going to give you the final word. Always forward.